Sinister Myth, How Stories We Tell Perpetuate Violence. This podcast challenges cultural mythologies about sexuality in the West, because so often they encourage, perpetuate, or foster violences against women and minorities. It is supported by an Ohio State Affordable Learning Exchange grant and is created by Zoe Brigley Thompson and Brendan Walsh. Sinister Myth is produced by Alex Hammeter, Deborah Eschen, Paul Kotheimer, and Mackenzie Warren. All opinions expressed are solely those of Sinister Myth producers and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of The Ohio State University. This month, Sinister Myth has organized a very special event called the Hexing Circle, a pre-election poetry reading featuring seven readers, Sarona Abouakir, Sasha Aurora Akhtar, Ruth Awad, Mary Ellis Dunning, Melissa Studdard, Christina Thatcher, and myself, Zoe Brigley. So welcome everybody to this, the Hexing Circle, which is our post-Halloween pre-election poetry reading for Sinister Myth, a podcast about how stories we tell perpetuate violence. The idea for this event began with a sense of witchy mischief and laughter, but also from a serious desire to speak back to power and gather strength as we anticipate one of the most important American presidential elections in history. Though we have hopes, we can't know what the result will be, and we will have to wait to see whether women and childbearing people's reproductive rights will be protected, whether immigrant children separated from their parents will be protected, whether institutional racism will be challenged, whether LGBTQ rights will be secure, whether healthcare in America will be available only to the well-off. We'll wait to see whether white supremacy will still have a foot in the White House. But whoever wins the election on Tuesday, none of these problems are going to be magically dissolved and we'll still have battles to fight. In the introduction to Ignota Books anthology Spells, So Mayer makes an important observation about what it is to be a witch. I want to read this comment because I think it might be helpful to us tonight. So Mayer says, to be a witch is to know words. To be a witch is to know in your bones, your tired bones, where the word witch might come from. Birth stories, origin myths are wandering and plural, partial but yours. Not someone else's definition of yourself, but what you have learned through dangers untold and hardships unnumbered. Trauma is, in or behind many of these spells, the broken open, the realization of how great is the need to find the right words to record and to transform. How great is the power inside us, the power that the violence comes to steal and erase. To be a witch then is to find potency inside ourselves and to speak back to abuses of power. So that's what we want to do tonight. I'm going to start the readings by speaking back to the misogyny of the current presidential administration. And I want to call on the spirit of Guerville Mechaim, who is a medieval Welsh poet, becoming more known now for her erotic poetry. 
On Friday, I was talking with the Dead Women Poets Society in London about how liberating it's been translating Guelphil's poems, which are, I warn you, very sexually explicit. I always say, though, that since Guelphil wouldn't have apologised for these poems, neither will I. Guelphil was the Cardi B of her day, and she would have approved of what wholeheartedly. I'm going to read a translation of Guelphil's Ode to the Kent. I'm thankful to Guadalupe's spirit for helping me to find my own power to speak frankly, boldly, and without shame. Both of these poems are in a chapbook out with Broken Sleep or Bard After a French Movie. And I wanted to just send a shout out to Aaron Kent, editor of Broken Sleep, who's been in hospital, but I think is being reunited with his family today. So I'm gonna start just by reading Guerville Mechain's poem. Ode to the Cunt. Every dumb as fuck, wasted poet, all of them mansplainers, they'll spare me and my sisters if they know what's good for them. Everyone writes empty tweets for the girls on Wine Street, long threads, though they take the best for granted, FFS. They praise a girl's hair, stitch her dress with love, her body and all around. They praise the brows over her eyes or the lovely shape of her, how smooth her breasts are, how arms in bright sleeves are beautiful, not to mention her hands. Still a poet is spelling his song to the night, thanking fuck for creating this woman. No praise though for between the legs, the space inside where sperm meets egg or the warm cunt, a circle broken incandescent when I loved hot as fuck the cunt under my skirt. Fierce cunt, deeper cave, strong and exact as a walled garden, red as kite feathers. Beautiful cunt, opening like a valley, mouth of two broad lips to suck a spoon, a finger, or whatever length she so desires. Cunt swelling between cheeks behind, I sing you red twin, but some men virtue signaling these nice guys, if they have the chance, never fail the fuckers to have a feel, take the space as their own. So fuck all the witless men, empathy poets, and sing a song to the cunt for riches, no doubt. Queen of odes, silken, written along two seams, the flag of a sweet fleek cunt, Flutters a greeting, sharp thicket soaked with love, a forest proud with fucking, perfect as it is, tender border, fur for a fuckable ball sack, girl's dense grove, deluxe booty call or gorgeous bush. Thank fuck for it. So that's Guadalupe's poem, which is obviously completely wild. <laughs> and outrageous and was amazing to work on and to translate. And I feel like translating something like that just opens up a space in yourself to speak back about women's bodies, about the way in which women's bodies are treated, about what we're allowed to say about women's bodies. And I found myself writing my own poems in a way which were much more direct and frank than I had before. On that note, I'm gonna pass over to Sarona Abouaker, poet, artist, activist, educational outreach worker, exploring visual cultures, 
Palestinian futurisms and queer phenomenologies. Thank you so much, Zoe, for inviting me. And I'm really honored to be reading alongside everyone else here tonight. This is my first reading, so I'm really nervous, but also very excited. <laughs> yeah, so I guess I'll just jump into it. So this first one is called My Mother's Third Imprisonment. I chose to read it tonight because in the UK, we've just received news that we're going to be on a second full lockdown nearly. And definitely 2020 has been a time of utmost unraveling and yet stillness. And I think that's something holding those two truths together has been a great tutelage for me. Conceive this moment. Come to understand its history. Soldiers shove a tray of olives under the door. She carves holes into the pits using a nail, finds a string, makes a bracelet. Resistance sometimes looks like constraint. Her cell lined with used tea bags, strung up, drying, waiting for reuse throughout the weeks. The soldiers do not come around. The next one is called Walking on Portobello Road, Lecere Ras al Amud. That means know the road that is at the top of the hill. It's a road in Ramallah that a lot of my family lives off of in the West Bank. The top of the hill asks why. There are so few women on the streets. At night, they split. So wide now, so open, swallowing bullets whole. I step off the tube into a service, reaching for an oyster, pulling out a blue shekel, rolling into itself, foaming at the mouth. A tisrih visa flashes gold. My necklace stops me. Gun and finger and face, he looks at my chest and says, Sorona. Hart Hammersmith in city line leaving. Is that your name? Why is your name Arab? Where did you come from? Why are you here? Checking points to checkpoint, no curfews from Broccoli to Al Sharafe. They only put padlocks on our homes when the banks tank them. She screams they are coming, on fire, storming city buildings, demanding answers, for the dead cannot move, but they speak through what we create. His face painted into city steel cranes, towering skies, eyes black graffiti sunken deep into the walls beneath, watching shadows, torturing uniforms. Our cacti can still be found. We water ourselves in memories and imaginations, thorns prickling, stabbing, there are some things refusing to be touched. My hands trace over the white jutting stone, three stories tall, each story for a family. Each story is empty and still with silence. In such spaces where we are walking on our graves, she picked up her friend's brains, splattered on the sidewalk. She put rose water on them afterwards, summoning the smoothness from the hardness Plunging into the sea, a blue and white bon voyage before entering Jericho from Shepherd's Bush. Soldiers telling my mother to leave her one-year-old daughter at the border so she can move on. We must struggle to imagine what love will look like in liberation. I'm about to move on to my third poem. So I forgot to preface that second one was written right after I came back from Palestine in, 
after spending six weeks there in spring 2019. I live in London and it took me about two months to really reorient myself back to London. I'd be walking down the street and I just see flashes of Palestine in front of me. And it, it was quite a disorienting kind of reality. And it really kind of made me question about the kinds of inheritances that we have, but also the kinds of things that we also carry within us. So yeah, thanks for listening. And my third and final poem is called Suture Feel. And this was written, I guess, a few weeks before Israel officially announced when it would kind of begin annexations, even though it's officially been annexed in Palestine for the last 72 years. So yeah, I just had a burst of something. This is a poem colonizers will cut their hands on. Chronic wounds splintering. We keep moving. I hear her say he didn't roll down his window fast enough to throw the Molotov. Reopen. He walks from Lebanon to Syria. Taking off his socks, he finds his skin comes off. Without our ancestors' masks, what are they? We don't scatter, we are elastic, stretching beyond their wildest dreams. We shape ourselves with the force of each other, carving new spaces in times, wringing out seawater, crossing borders. I see light in your eyes. You peel fruit from your childhood, sitting in your mother's chair. Rock, ebb, flow. Backseat behind a curtain, hiding sister and I, mother in front, legs unfurl on the dashboard, feet splay on the windshield, embrace the glass, 26 bones ready to break the uniform in half, facing outwards. The hallux protecting daughters, witnessing structures designed to stop them from entering, driver mumbles passing through. Sometimes language is as good as a visa. Mother told me she wrote on her bare feet, Kulkhara, eat shit, for the soldiers in bright red lipstick. The children of those who were expelled were colors. Each one imbued, turn to each other and say, what if we were there at the same time, together? Sometimes dehisen, I close the stitches, find them reopened. Tissue replaces dermis as epidermis in motion, biochemical immunity. Soldiers fire tear gas, I ran, holding myself to the sea, washing away the agent only to find our photographs drowned. Fugitivity is a rhythm, soft in the under, south palliates the proliferations. We do not need to be assuaged, we need to set fire. I find myself in the space between our clasped hands. I return in your laugh on my body. What protects us more than the rifle? is the bullet made with the pen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarona. That was absolutely phenomenal reading, so powerful. Thank you. And now we're gonna hand over to Sasha Aurora Akhtar, who originates from Pakistan, has a number of wonderful witchy poetry publications, as well as her new stories of necessity and wanting. And she's also been described by The Guardian as a poet to watch. Uh, so let's hand over to, to Sasha now. Ah. <laughs> I find these uh, online events of ours really hard. Uh, there's a lot of sensory issues, but also the... Uh, so right now, I just want to be like, woo, you know, 
So I need to get that out. So I got that out. So that was for Serona and that's for, whew, for Zoe and for all of us. Oh, you know, it's very interesting because this kind of reading, even if we didn't have the pandemic, we wouldn't be able to pull this off because of the people from all over the place. So this sense of energy, this sense of nexus, this is which sort of transcends time and space. So we've created this. So that makes me feel a lot better uh, about these readings. It's it's something many of us feel like, you know, we've lost a lot of stuff and will it come back? I don't, we don't know, we don't know. But here and now, this is a powerful space. So uh, I'm going to read from this book, Love Like Blood. And I just want to say about it that it was my fifth collection and it came from this immersion in this sort of language, uh, digital space language and also observation and studies and, you know, what it's doing to our brains and just stuff like that, you know, just fun stuff. And I just got inspired because Zoe, oh, it was such beautiful things you were saying about the body and woman's body and... So I just want to say this little ode to that body that you were talking about, this, this body of trauma and all these, all this stuff that we carry, I have carried. To all the years I lost making terrible decisions, I am here to say, I reclaim you. If body doth sustain this battered life force, but you gotta be gentle though. The flesh is tender. Please only be here for this. And a little quote, be careful of the local magicians. We only look whimsical. <laughs> That's from Lev Grossman's The Magicians. So this first uh, poem is a lot of hashtags. So it's hashtag love like blood. There's a nod to killing joke in there. I have a tiger in my arteries, in my vena cava. She, he maneuvers softly so as not to kill me. Iota, prowl, wide eyes. There it is, thump, thump, thump. And self-preservation rules the day no more. As we move, Towards no end, we learn to die. Strength and beauty destined to decay. Thump, th uh, thump, thump. So the next one, we travel to France. This was a poem based on me thinking about the alchemical processes, which are prevalent, I feel, in every force. So the different stages, the rubedo or the reddening and the white and the negredo, which is the blackness and also entering the void, vioto. So this poem sort of uses the metaphor of this couple. Nekia of the cataphiles. One, Paris, France. Wandering in the city anointed of light, 
she a star of the screen illuminated in perpetuum in celluloid developed a fondness for the blackness of darkness each twilight to flee the violent sizzle of electricity she descends into l'empire de la morte to be with the cool stone passageways harboring the discarded six million dead 93 days sleeping above 93 nights she charters the black seas of the catacombs when he arrives lazard paint if you search through these catacombs you will find the gate to hell you lie lazard hell is other people you are blackening etoy i know part two vioto Thought you void a uh, you void thought a uh, void thought you a uh, void a void is black imagined imagined you imagined light figures of this is darkness visible part three Alamogordo New Mexico a snow of sugar bleached and piled atop powdered teeth dunes vignetting dunes the other white is bone the transcendent bone the earth calcified into structure holding you flapping flags of meat interwoven with muscle without which bags of sheer liquid we are all a flow state, all a state of flow. Here in this state, we are in the white, the sands white of Alamogordo. The painted lizard emerges from the sands, first his head a burst. Raging color on this surface, immaculate lizard paint turns to white, a cameo against the sands. Part four. Woman disappears from catacombs. Itwai, you finally lost your way where so many fail and I am here, the Red King. But for the blood, Lazard, the chambers are empty. See how the clouds too turn to red for this, our chemical wedding. Whew, that poem always... <laughs> Um, the last poem I'm going to read because there was a, this wonderful Kant poem from Zoe. So I have a sort of a penis poem. <laughs> uh, so it's called Ejaculate as a Noun. And it's Pour Cher Noctambule. It really doesn't deserve it at all. The bones of you and I were carved by desire, fucking the scalpel, shaving raw, hardness, pliant, obedient, the specific curve of your every so rib. How they alight after they fly on your very breath, rocking the motion of you. 
clavicle, you are chiseled with a flourish, two spikes on either side of soft, thin flesh where your voice resides. Clavicle, crown of the exquisite curvature, cage, no heart pumps inside, the birds have eaten it. Now they tear lung, each purpled lung, beaks fortified by heart scar tissue, the thick blood once pumped, clotted black. Hissing, the air escapes from each perforation. The only barrier between our bones is you and I, and you and I skin disintegrates in the air, disintegrates in the air, and we become breath. Ivory bones only drop the iridescence immaculate of your ejaculate as a noun. Awesome, awesome. I love that. And the funny thing is, Guerville's Kent poem was actually written in response to another Welsh male poet of the time who'd written an ode to the penis. But, you know, I much preferred your penis poem, I have to say. <laughs> much preferred. And that was wonderful. Thank you. You're such an inspiration. Really appreciate you. Thank you. Um, Thanks so much for all of this. It's wonderful to have you. It's wonderful to have you. Now, next coming along is Ruth Awad, who is a poet from my city here, Columbus, Ohio, award-winning Lebanese-American poet, wonderful debut collection set to music on wildfire which i strongly recommend won a lot of prizes for that book and is currently writing a poem for me for magma poetry the issue on dwelling which i'm editing which is out next spring so british readers watch out for her so let's hear from ruth thank you so much zoe for that introduction and thank you all for being here i feel humbled to follow the brilliant poets who have come before. Thank you for sharing your work. And I'm excited to hear what's to come. I'm going to start with a poem that feels like a spell. It's a poem about grief, which I feel like is appropriate for this time. In the gloaming, in the roiling night, the hurt returns as it always intended. It is tender as the inside of my thighs. It is as blue too. Oh, windless, wingless sky, show me your empire of loneliness. Let me spring from the jaws of what tried to kill me. Let me look at your face and see a heaven worth having, all your sorry angels falling off a piano bench, laughing. Do you burn because you remember darkness? Outside, the joy is clamoring. It is almost like the worst day of your life is ordinary for everyone else. I wrote this next poem last year when I was thinking about how I felt on the night of the election that I wondered what a future in America would look like in 2016 after Trump was elected. I'm under no delusion about America. Like, it's an empire, colonial state. We had shit to work on before Trump ever happened. But the hard turn to fascism has been scary and uh, filled me with such uncertainty that I wanted to write a poem about 
my feelings about America as a first gen uh, daughter of an immigrant who had a very different view of this country when he immigrated here. Um, so this is a poem in part inspired by my father and inspired by current events. Catalog of the Inalienable. My father said he gave me this country. Whatever you can mourn, you can love. One day I'll step into the light and be devoured. I'll turn it over in my hands, bewildered. It will be like that first brisk winter he didn't miss wind in olive trees. I must love my country because I mourn it. Agree each hour to live another one. I ache the way sunlight aches. It is very American to be this sad on a Tuesday, to grow mean like a boxwood untaming the window. I'm so greedy now, I want everything. Marvel the blood, expect the algae that blooms an age of ice. Sometimes what you love will kill you. It will rough your mouth like a kiss. My partner and I are eloping this coming week. We decided we needed something to look forward to in case like the election really turns our world upside down. So I've been thinking about what it means to build a future with someone in this uncertain moment we're living in. And of course, whenever you mention marriage, everyone is like, oh, you're going to have kids. And it's like, no, we're not. This poem is kind of written about that. We don't talk about children until we do. I come from two songs, milk of my mother, blood of my father. If you say my name, I expect you to know where I'm from and the sea that stormed me. I expect you to kiss me here, here, and here's the night America made. Are you my father? I said, are you my father? And my blood rang out like some immodest bell, like some guilty bloom. I don't know my God, so I must not know my mother. She tells me she was too fucked up to start having kids, and so I kneel before her. I hold her hands that are my hands. Half of everything I did was wrong. See there in the curvature of the earth and my hips that were made to rift but won't. A body exists on forgiveness. I forgive my body again and again until it's unrecognizable. A stalk of knotweed, a barricade of wild violet. I name each blade for the children we are told to have, children to inherit our unlivable world. Reap now what we have made. A hex is also a hope. So I wanted to finish my part with a poem that invokes a little bit of hope, I think. Moral inventory. What good is your goodness really? If it is undone as soon as it begins. I flew over an ocean slicked with plastic. I am still afraid of whales even though I know they are choking on our trash. I had money in my pocket from a job of casual corporate unkindness, gave it to anyone who asked. I want to be a better animal. I want to love what I can while I can.
my dogs who caught in the grass, a song that fills my cup and gallops me under a hunter's moon. So what if I snag in her antlers? I once had a body that wasn't a body. It was a voice in a God's mouth. It was the holy vow. Oh animal, I thank you. Oh flank, oh wanting gut, say it matters. Tell me to begin again, tell me, and I will. Thank you. Oh, I am absolutely delighted with that. Um, I really think her poems are some of the most gorgeous poems I've read and I absolutely loved her, her collection. So I really recommend it. Thank you. Thanks so much. And now next I'm going to introduce um, Mary Alice Dunning, who is a young award-winning poet living and writing on the coast of West Wales. Her debut collection, Salacia, was published by Parthia in 2018 and shortlisted for Wales Book of the Year. So let's hear from her. Thank you, Zoe. I just want to say, Ruth, those poems were absolutely beautiful. I'm going to pick up a copy of your book. Okay, so I'd just like to preface tonight by saying that the poems I'm choosing to read, I've chosen them in light of governments in the UK and in America who repeatedly seek to thwart female bodily autonomy. As a new mother, I've written a lot recently about the experience of mothering. So these poems speak to my own experience around reproductive rights. And I think the fear surrounding female bodies in all forms. So this first one is called Poem for Marshai Jones. Marshai Jones was a woman from Alabama who was indicted for manslaughter following the loss of a pregnancy after she was shot in the stomach. At the time I wrote this poem, she was still in prison and her shooter was free. The next thing she knows, she is a waning moon, stomach flattening to a pinch, scarlet draining between her thighs. Maybe I provoked her, she thinks, as her thumbs are pressed to ink, smeared black mitosis. The steel door clangs shut as a fist. Someone else's sobs roll through her cell, siren loud, newborn blue. Reckless as a clamoring of bullets. This next one's called The Moon. Countless as stars, they've mined my shadows for that elusive shimmer, laid claim to my brow in reckless bounds, boots trampling the chalky pallor of my cheeks like cigarette stubs burning through carpet. Still, I have only ever remained silent waited, watched with my doe-black eyes, my dimpled chin for a misplaced step, a loose shard, the sudden spinning top of a man lost to the darkness. They say I should be grateful to have my bones dusted and scaled, to be photographed, adored as a gleaming starlet, but I am tired of their unrelenting leaping, their one small step for man, their space race propaganda, the way they pocket parts of me like rubies to carry home. I'm often quite fascinated by biblical stories. So the next one I'm gonna read is called Poem for Mary. And it's about Mary and her virgin conception. Mary paces the stable, heels trailing straw, 
belly timbrel round. Joseph clutches limply at her palms, cups water to her lips, kneads her shoulders with aching hands. All night he has wrapped his knuckles at stubborn doors, the donkey trampling the earth at his ankles, listened to the echo again and again. There are no lodgings here. And so he watches the child crowning in the hay, kicks dirt under his feet while they wait. She has told him the baby is a miracle, a small pink gift conceived in a thundering of wings, a crushing light, now stretching her taut as a bowstring, now mewling beneath the stars. I'm gonna read a couple now about my own kind of experience of mothering and motherhood. I had a baby in July, so I'm a very new mother. It's been quite inspirational. So these are a couple of poems surrounding that. July 2nd, 3.08 p.m. All morning, you were an acrobat, barreling head first, feet to the stars, elbowing your way through the darkness. For hours, your burnished taproot sluiced my core. You steamed ahead, little adventurer, blazing like the sun. By afternoon, you were an eel, slipping from between my thighs, gray and barely breathing, a bloodied sigh. Then that newborn mule hooking through the stillness, a cacophony of cries, the thundering beauty of lungs. This next one's called On Walking in the Rain. When you came, I stopped minding the rain learned to enjoy its cool touch like freshly laundered sheets on my cheek. We trailed endless miles, you strapped to my chest, a chimp flexing your fist, one arm tumbling loose, the dog strapped to my wrist. What else was there to do in a world licked clean by salt and wind, shut as a stubborn mouth? When you came, I saw the rain for what it was, a thousand kisses at my temple, a baptism amongst the slangs. Um, this one is one that I wrote recently about my experiences of staying on the postnatal ward in hospital during the COVID epidemic, um, which was a really difficult time. And I think it's taken me a few months to actually process how that affected me. And this, this speaks to a, a UK government, but governments around the world, I suppose, that kind of neglect women's needs particularly in vulnerable times during their lives. And so this is staying on the postnatal ward during COVID-19. There is no sleep here where women shuffle barefoot, elasticated waistbands, nightgowns trailing linoleum. We are pale and bloodless ghosts. We are waning moons. We do not speak to one another. In a bed, feet from mine, someone chokes. A sob thick as toffee cloying her throat. An indifferent curtain hangs between us. Somewhere on the ward, a baby cries, pitching its vowels to the ceiling fan. The baby isn't mine. My baby is a lost creature, hibernating in a sterile incubator, a corridor stretching between us like a deep lake. Tubes like terrible worms curling his nostrils, burrowing into his hands. 
He has shaken something loose in me, like coins rattling in an old tin. I swell and I leak, a sudden mother. For a week, it goes like this, me wringing my hands at his crib side, my stupid pupils dry and wide, watching his heartbeat form steady mountaintops against the darkness. Friends framed like portraits, stuttering their congratulations through phone screens. His father pitched miles away, butting at doors that scream stop, no entry. Got quite emotional reading that one. And this last one I'm gonna do, I wrote especially for this event. It's a bit of a hex poem. And I wrote it in light of in 2017, the then newly appointed US administration reintroduced a Republican policy that blocks government funding to non-US organizations that perform abortions with their own funding. And since its introduction, what's known as the global gag rule has put millions of women's lives at risk and counterintuitively resulted in more abortions and more dangerous abortions. So this is The Womb Speaks. Let's pretend, if you like, that it was always about children, their half-formed hearts, their muted cries. Say it again, write it on your placards, we hear you. His careless pen inks his name like a god's, seals my fate in black and white. The truth is this, I was sculpted to grow, stretching round as a pumpkin to carry life like two palms cupping water, to purge it with a seismic surge, to do it again and again. I know what you fear, the notion of me, empty, unwilling, scrunched as a fist and poised to strike, a snake coiled to a sizzle. Picture my worth now in nine month cycles, watch me billow and bloom, Watch me swell like a red-hot wound at his command. Believe me, I will wear these scars like jewels, mined hot from the earth. I will bleed and leak. You shackle what you fear, the minotaur pacing its maze, the circus bear sweating rags behind bars. This vacant womb, its deafening power. Thank you very much. That was just incredible. Thank you so much. And thank you for writing these poems and, and for our conversations as well that we've had about reproductive rights and motherhood. I've really appreciated them. And I'm so glad that you're writing about it now as well. And these wonderful poems, thank you. Thank you so much. And now I'm gonna take us on to Melissa Studdard, who I'm such a fan of has five books, you know, including the poetry collection, I Ate the Cosmos for Breakfast, the wonderful poetry chapbook, Like a Bird with a Thousand Wings, and a young adult novel as well. Her work's been featured by NPR, PBS, New York Times, The Guardian, and she served as executive producer and host of Vida Voices and Views for Vida. So I'm really excited to see what Melissa's gonna read tonight. Thank you, Zoe, that was really lovely. I'm really happy to be here today. And I know this is just such a hard time for so many of us. And this moment of all being together and being part of this sacred seven feels really healing to me right now. So I wanna thank everyone for their poems. It's funny how when you're late 
in a reading, a late reader, you end up sort of changing what you're going to read. But some of the stuff that I'm reading now is inspired by the things that you all just read. So the first poem is called Revolution. While democracy is a pigeon looking for a landing, consumerism is an accident from when God fell asleep. Now the skyline is inside me like a door leading to someone else's bedroom. Nothing on the dresser is mine. The ornate gold frames hold other people's children. The jewelry box, someone else's jade. I move across the carpet in my slippers and mist, a myth not yet written. What I want to become, no man can answer or buy. It's possible I'm the mother of a vast dark silences. It's possible I will grandparent a litter of storms. Thank you, Zoe. You did an amazing thing by putting this together for all of us. I'm so grateful to you. <laughs> okay, Incantation. And this is a poem I wrote for two friends who were getting married and they're both poets. And since Ruth is getting eloped, I decided to read this poem for Ruth tonight. So, Incantation. Speaking of vows, someone mailed the bride an envelope filled with finches wings, as if love could ever be so simple. The groom said, bring me this new dialect. I want to fill it with couple. The bride said, first, show me the ladder in your throat. When they handed each other the promise, it looked like hoops of gold, but really it was a sunrise that will go on and on. After all, every poem is widest where it's been stretched by lovers walking in twos. But this must be how all marriages begin. Someone carrying an envelope filled with enchantment. Someone opening it without breaking the wings. <laughs> Congratulations, Ruth. <laughs> okay, I never thought I'd ever read this poem aloud or maybe even publish it, but I was inspired by <laughs> all the poems, so now I'm going to read a pussy poem. <laughs> women power, right? <laughs> so this is called, I can turn wooden beads to silver with my pussy. I can turn wooden beads to silver with my pussy. So you take to calling yourself my pearl and tuck yourself into my fold. The confetti we've thrown begets confetti in the bedroom's sky. The cat sits on the porch, trying to purr the front door open and earns a 10th life for trying. In the morning, I will mistake your cock for a cigar-shaped planet and learn to breathe your atmosphere. When night falls again and moonflowers unfurl beneath our stillness, I'll cup their pale chins in my hands. I've been wanting to teach you the story of iridescence so I read poems aloud as you enter me. I join the small pink dove that swims in your breath, growing realer one side at a time. In the middle of the night, we awaken briefly and I give you the key to a city I lost long ago. And you find me there. When I take me apart, you put me back together again. And someone did put me back together again last night, which is another reason I wanted to read that poem today. 
So I've got, I think, two more poems. Yes. So the next one, I'm thinking that everyone here probably knows who Philomela is, but just in case she is a mythological character who was raped by her sister's husband, Tarius, and when she threatened to tell, he cut out her tongue. So these poems are told from the perspective, not of Philomela, but of the tongue that was severed and taken out. So giving her voice again. Philomela's tongue says, Philomela's tongue says you could mistake grief for a diamond, the way it shines when cut into, like fish eyes in a boat's drain. The eyes fly into death, seeing everything. The cloud of alcohol and Sagittarius B2. The 10 billion trillion trillion carat diamond in Centaurus. The soul swimming through air with its tie hanging silver beneath it like a kite string. But Philomela's tongue does not die. Shards of memory fall through her, finding muscle at the shore where blood meets vein, cutting the stream that's kept her sanity tied to the root. In its place, mute swans lie dormant beneath frozen lakes of scar. Tarius says she cannot say what happened. She says silence writhes inside the walls of truth, like a fox thrashing hot in a hound's jaws, or a wild fly, frantic to escape the hand that carries it to safety. And my final poem is called Migration Patterns. And I just wanted to end on a note of strength and power and positivity. So, and this is also just a very important issue and poem for me right now. Migration Patterns. In the dream, I tell customs my llama is a goat. Because sometimes the heart is not large enough to hold what is beautiful if the mind finds it exotic. Sometimes the mind mistakes itself for a hoarded piece of land and little campfires spring up everywhere. Smoke slinks through chain link. Small hands and shoulders capsize beneath a dehydrated salt sick sun. In the dream, I carry mountains through international waters. I carry the hills, their babies, to safety. Sometimes I wave away a predator and there is fire in my hand and my hand does not want to be part of a human body. It wants to belong to the llama, the goat, the hills, the mountain. In the dream, I've got the North Star in my trunk. I'm driving it across a border. I'm taking it to a different part of the sky. It can't stand what it has seen. What we need is not a fixed point. What we need is a world anthem that everyone knows the words to. One that says, come in, come on, come over, I've got you. In the dream, light leaks from thin cracks where the trunk door meets the body of the car. The star says, put me on the dashboard and I will guide you. The officer says, illegal, you can't take a star to another part of the sky. 
And I say, watch me. I say, I've got enough light to do anything. Thank you. Wow, absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much. It just, I, I love that you read Philomela's Tongue Says because I remember reading that poem and just feeling absolutely stunned by it and wishing I'd written it. <laughs> I was oh my gosh, thank you. I actually read that poem tonight because I remembered that you really liked it. So thank you. Thank you so much. I do. I absolutely love it. It's beautiful. Thank you. And so moving. But now I'm going to take us on to the last of the squad of seven. That is American in Wales, Christina Thatcher. There's a new collection, How to Carry Fire. She has some marvellous poems about family trauma, but also some really beautiful poems too about the making of the erotic and love. And she's a creative writing lecturer at Cardiff Metropolitan University. So let's hear from Christina. Thank you so much. Thank you to all the readers who have come before. I'm absolutely honored to be here to kind of wrap up our hexing circle. And Zoe, just the energy that you brought into this room tonight, I'm so grateful to you. So like Melissa, actually listening to everybody's work, I've, I've changed a lot of the things that I'm going to read tonight, and I'm going to read some things which are quite vulnerable, and also some new things too. So the first poems I'm going to read are, are from um, How to Carry Fire, this new collection. And when I was thinking about hexing in a hex, I kept thinking and coming back to this idea of why we might hex or why we might set spells. And a lot of it for me came back to protection and the idea of rescuing and how we might um, protect not only our loved ones, but each other. And I grew up in a home kind of characterized by domestic violence and family addiction. So a lot of my young life was around what it meant to protect not only myself but my mother and my brother and the people around me so I'm going to start there this one is called Sentry I was ready camping all those nights on the living room floor broken door locks rattling ready for the ransack the burn of bad people who'd let themselves in Ever watchful, daughter, refusing fear, my heartbeat slow as a funeral drum. I was ready. It's your job, house canary. Just watch the door and call if we need to run. Making fire. We chopped wood to keep the fire lit through winter until you could no longer bend your hand around the axe. That weakness, years later, led you to the fireplace, hot-tempered to the poker you slid across my mother's neck, pinning her to the wall until her breath became so shallow you cooled. And when you slept, she gathered up her things and just enough courage to brave the cold and leave you for good. Thank you. Um, this collection opens with the burning down of my childhood home. Um, my father was a drug addict and he, he burned down our house. And so this collection thinks a lot about or looks a lot about fire literally, but also metaphorically and, the, and how we can embody and use the language of fire to talk about destruction and, and what we carry with us. And that family addiction is something I carry quite a lot. And um, I'm just gonna read one poem about that. 
And it comes with this hex and the hope that one day the opium epidemic in the US will be over and people's suffering will be over. Um, this is called Vigilante and it's, it's dedicated to, to anyone who's ever struggled with heroin addiction or any other addiction. Vigilante. In my dreams, I collect tools, a drip torch, gasoline, glyphosate. I am strong enough to carry them to Myanmar, Afghanistan, Iran, then closer to home, Colombia, Mexico. In my dreams, I survey thousands of hectares covered in poppy heads, take a silent moment to remember my American Legion grandmother passing out paper flowers for peace. In my dreams, I light the torch, throw flames with the expert aim of a forest patrolman. Everywhere, red petals perish, fields become bloodied and black-eyed soil is scorched. In my dreams, nothing ever grows back. My brother thanks me. In my dreams, I have the power to save. I have to say I'm loving all of these cunt and sex poems. Um, I've written some, as Zoe said, in this book. And um, when I'm thinking about this idea of protection, rescuing, um, and how we have to think so much about the way in which we protect ourselves around sex and the way we rescue others and, and ourselves around it. And I'm just gonna read um, one poem I've written about that in the collection. I'm not sure, I think I've only read it out one time before. I always feel a little nervous. Um, so this one is called, uh, Before We Have Sex, I Imagine. Before we have sex, I imagine all the women whose names you forgot. What did they want, these unremembered women, from you and your bed and your steel piston legs? I imagine spreading a body-sized map on the floor, pinning Swansea, Shawmen, Melbourne, Nelson, every dark dive bar. I imagine the buses, trains, taxis, ferries, barges, planes it would take to find them. I imagine the first encounter. Can I get you a drink? I imagine myself seducing them. I am better at this than you. Then I imagine myself fucking them. But there are so many and you remember so little, it could take years to track them all down, to touch what you touch, to say to each and every one of them, I know. Um, so I'm gonna read one more from this collection and then move on to some really new poems. Um, this is called How to Carry Fire and it's, it's the title one from this collection. How to Carry Fire. Conjure every fire you have ever read about. London's gutting, Brisbane's breadless factory, Boston's burning. Remember your aching home the leftovers of your childhood journals flaking in the hot shell of your bedroom. Bring these to a furnace at the front. Stoke with the poker your father pressed into your mother's neck. Take what those flames can give you. Feel heat enter your stomach. Stay wary now. You must never let the light go out. Keep it lit until you learn to glow.
so I think that there's a real energy in, in reading newer poems and I'm working on another collection called Breaking a Mare, which looks at this intersection between strength and vulnerability and things which happen to women. So I thought it would be appropriate to read um, some of these poems tonight. The first one is called In Praise of Fly Repellent. And I'm not sure if people in Britain call fly repellent this, but it is literally a spray that you use to get rid of flies. Okay, here we go. This is the first airing of this, I think. So uh, thank you for listening. In Praise of Fly Repellent. Can you remember the satisfaction of sweating legs dangling down the barrel of a horse. Can you remember the tense clenching of shoulders when a breeze fly landed on your mare? How she quivered but couldn't shake it. Then the elation you felt when you realized you were still holding the spray bottle. You hadn't yet handed it down to the girl below, and so you were able to aim right at the fly whose horror eyes had fixed on you, whose mouth wanted blood from anywhere, the slab of a horse's neck, some plump young arms. Can you remember, in slow motion, pulling the trigger, watching the jet stream dash and douse its wing, your gaze following as the fly tumbled down to the dusty earth, disoriented and bloodless. Can you remember that first time you saved both yourself and your horse, when all you ever needed to feel powerful was that sharp liquid? Can you remember asking yourself why no one had invented some great squirt to shoo away other pests in your life? All the boys who came a-pinching, all the men who never fist hit but buzzed around words like fat and bitch. Can you remember the nose flying from your mouth like water, how fists and feet were never enough? Can you remember how the riding instructor who liked history told you that repel came from the Latin to drive back and how that could mean so many things when really it should just mean to live. This next one is a sonnet uh, for, I'm not sure how many rodeo fans are out there, but as a rodeo rider in a former life, um, I always really admired the women who did this. Um, and this is for Mabel Strickland Woodward, who's a very famous radio, rodeo rider. And I found it so frustrating, and we can see this in the media now, how even the strongest women um, are unpicked and changed by the media. So I, I thought this would be an appropriate one to share. It's called The Rodeo Paradox for Mabel Strickland Woodward. She could rope a steer in just 18 seconds, throw its calf body to the ground and pin its flailing legs. Her own calves squeezed magic into broncos, her forward fenders pulled ooze from the crowd, her one foot drag dropped jaws. This lovely lady of rodeo could buck any cat call, mount any animal, ride unnervingly fast with grace. Her brave was the size of a Dallas arena. And yet she was never brutish. Reporters rallied around her petite frame. 
Even on the night, she swung under her horse's neck, reached up for her saddle, then slipped, trampled to near death. The papers prized how pretty she looked. Even then, just so darn beautiful. Thank you. I'm just gonna read one more. Thank you so much everybody for listening. And, and again, Zoe, for bringing us all together in this hex. I thought I would end with this poem dedicated to my mother who doesn't believe in hexing, but believes in persistence and resilience in the face of all bad things. So I thought it would be something that we could share together. It's called, She Never Steeples Her Hands. She never steeples her hands Instead, she prays with her pitchfork, bends at the knees, lifts hot from cold, snaps up and turns to the wheelbarrow. She moves from left to right, the way you read this, scraping and sifting, lifting and dumping until everything is clean again. Every stall, every morning is emptied and rebedded. She walks with the grace of a pastor around the barn. She knows it will be dirty again tomorrow. She knows the hay bales will split and the grain will spill and the creek will freeze then flood. And shit will keep dropping and the kids will cut their hands and the broodmare will colic and someone will get kicked and the fences will need mending and the hose will run out of water and the gravel man won't arrive again and the rats will come back and she will need to inject the weakened colt and her own children will never understand her and the stallion's roof will crumble and there won't be enough money to feed herself and she will collapse her lungs again and she will die here. Eventually, she will die here. And this is why she yells to anyone who will listen, there's work to be done, come on. <laughs>